Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now. Blocknative is the easiest way to build and trade with mempool data. Hundreds of the top DeFi projects and traders have integrated Blocknative's API. Learn why at Blocknative.com. For the holidays, today's episode will be an AMA with questions I solicited from Twitter. Next time, if I get my act together in time and I'm not juggling five bajillion things at once, I will solicit questions on the show so you can record your questions via audio and send them in. Anyway, here goes. First question comes from Cryptopia Film. How is the book writing going? Great question. Thanks for asking, because this is pretty much what I'm spending most of my time on these days. I have to say that actually it's super fun working on it. I'm in the revision phase. I will be turning my revisions in pretty soon. And I'm kind of working like mad. So I have as much time as possible to make this book the best that it can be. And I really am excited to share it with you all. BrandonZemp.eth asks, what's your biggest tip to offer aspiring podcasters? I would probably say just don't be afraid to make mistakes and learn on the job. When I first started, I remember one of the early reviewers in, you know, like, not like a real reviewer, just like a person making a review, wrote that I sounded like a print journalist who had a podcast and they, you know, gave me some kind of low rating. And I just started laughing because, yes, I am a print journalist who now has a podcast. And I was just like, okay, well, I guess I sound like myself. Um, <laughs> and then the funny thing is that, so yesterday I recorded an episode with the digital artist people and, you know, we were chatting before the show and then, um, then I hit the record button. We started the show. And at the end, when I turned the recording off, he was like, whoa, you're <laughs> so professional. He was like, when you started the intro, it just seemed like you were another person. And I thought, is this like pre-recorded? But I realized it was really you. And I was like, oh, okay. So clearly, I guess I've improved since I started the podcast four and a half years ago. Um, yeah, so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to make mistakes in the show and learn as you go. Um, one other funny thing is there's this like little checklist of things that I do right before we begin recording with any guest. And sometimes the guests say like, oh, I'm so impressed with your little list or whatever. And I, I'm always like, oh, you're just listening to a list of all the mistakes that have been made on the show before, <laughs> um, which is true. So anyway, okay. 
Next question from Paul Abovit. What's it like being an independent journalist slash content creator? Um, if this is what you aspire to do with your life, <laughs> it's pretty much like the best thing you could ever imagine doing. I love it. I feel like, um, yeah, I just feel like the luckiest person in the world. So um, I don't really know what else to say about that other than that. Yeah, if you find something that you love covering and you can do it on your own, then yeah, it's just so rewarding. I mean, you call the shots, you don't have to have a boss and um, you get to do all the fun things that you want to do. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's really great. You know, I mean, obviously there are a lot of things that a bigger company will do for you that um, you need to, you know, hire people to do for you or figure them out yourself or whatever. But um, that's not the part that I think about when I think about my job. You know what I mean? It's like, I just get that stuff done. It's the best. That's that's basically the, uh, the gist. All right. Brent Shuck asks, Oh, well, so this wasn't phrased as a question, but he um, just kind of gave a topic, which I think is based on some current events, we shall say, happening in Twitter. So not actual events, but just like, you know, um, people fighting on Twitter, <laughs> um, on crypto Twitter. Um, he asked me to expound on further increasing the division of Satoshis as a form of inflation slash lack of scarcity. Well, you know, I, I don't think I, there's really much to say about this. Um, other than what somebody else already tweeted. And unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to credit this person because I don't remember who it was. But they were like, oh, if I just slice the pizza up into more slices, then suddenly there's more pizza. Okay, no, that's not how it works, people. Um, you know, yeah, that's nothing more to say other than that. Okay, Brent also asks, asks, how do you spend your time outside of crypto? So I actually answered this question before um, what, in the previous AMA that I did, uh, I think this summer when I went on vacation. You know, I, I used to be a yoga teacher and uh, like a big portion of my friends are from that world, the spiritual world. I'm in a meditation. So um, I spend a lot of time on spiritual stuff like, um, yeah, like meditation, yoga, uh, wellness, um, that kind of thing. I love all that stuff. I also just in general love music and dancing, which I also mentioned um, in the times of COVID, though, that's uh, not really something people are doing too much of right now. So, um, So I've really ended up um, connecting a lot more with kind of like my spiritual communities. Um, all right. Mika Warsell asked, do you send Bitcoin in North Korea? Okay. Um, <laughs> Mika, I don't know if you know anything about North Korea, but their, their internet is like not connected to ours unless, you know, you're like Kim Jong-un. So, um, no, it's really not possible to send Bitcoin in North Korea. Um, there might be people, uh, this would be a question for Alex Gladstein, although he probably wouldn't reveal what, what the answer was. Uh, of the Human Rights Foundation. He's the chief strategy officer there and is well known for talking about Bitcoin. You know, maybe they're doing something, but yeah, no, that's not uh, something, you know, that like any normal person can do. You would have to uh, basically be, I don't know, bringing flash drives into North Korea and then training people how to use the Bitcoin. And it would probably be like a really uh, difficult effort. Okay. Tegan Klein asks, how can we better incentivize our reporters without pay to play? I don't like seeing the folks that are helping to make crypto mainstream not being brought up with the rest of the ships in the industry. Okay, so first of all, uh, just the way the question is phrased, how can we better incentivize our reporters without pay to play? No real reporter is incentivized with pay to play. Like if anybody is doing pay to play, then they're probably not actually a reporter. Um, in fact, I know of several other crypto shows that do pay to play. Um, 
And yeah, the, those people doing those are definitely not journalists. So um, at the same time, I also do know that there are some publications that at least used to do pay to play that uh, people think of as being crypto media outlets. All I'm going to say about that is, you know, I never really link to those websites and I don't uh, anybody who works for me knows like we at least uh, from any of my shows, like we would never link to one of those websites um, at, at least if I know that that's what they're doing. I think basically the best way for this to happen is just for reporters to um, and, and media outlets to use the same business models that traditional media has used, which are, you know, what I do with ads, um, you know, subscriptions work really well for some of the really big um, mainstream outlets, like a place like the New York Times. I think their subscription base is the highest it's ever been once they've once they introduce the digital subscriptions. Um, you know, I think some of the other really big media outlets like the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post have seen quite good numbers with their subscriptions. You know, unfortunately for smaller outlets, subscriptions are really difficult and not super lucrative or or even like sustaining. I, I think, I, well, I don't know if you know, but a lot of local journalism pretty much has been decimated uh, with the internet. And that's, it's super unfortunate. You know, I saw this happening in my own hometown you know, I think advertising people claim they don't like advertisements, but I think that it like they don't want to pay for subscriptions. So that's pretty much the best way to do it. And um, and yeah, definitely pay to play is not <laughs> going to be how true journalism is funded. Um, OK, oftentimes mean, uh, this is an additional question from Tegan. Oftentimes mainstream press gets it wrong. How do we help mainstream get the story right? Example, XRP, example, CNBC is still talking about Litecoin. You know, I think. There's a couple of things. First of all, you you know, people can cultivate relationships with reporters. I've had different people reach out to me um, to introduce themselves or, you know, to comment on my work or, you know, to say, hey, I can offer this perspective or whatever. So if you feel like there's a reporter that you want to cultivate a relationship with, like that's totally something that is possible, especially if you, you know, have the kind of position or stature to do that. Um, you know, obviously, journalists do vet their sources and try to figure out who are the most credible sources. So um, part of this is, you know, just about becoming an expert and then being able to leverage that in the right way. You know, but the other thing is one thing that I have noticed, and this is kind of a broader tech thing, um, although, you know, obviously this does percolate into the crypto industry. Um, I think that there is a tendency for for entrepreneurs in tech and also in crypto to say that any critical uh, media is, you know, just has the story wrong or is out to get them or whatever. And I do think that, you know, if those people wouldn't take things personally, but would instead kind of look more objectively and say, okay, well, you know, these criticisms are valid. Like, here's how we can respond to this or that. Like, I think that would be more helpful. And is just um, it's just a better way to have a dialogue with the press rather than to just get defensive and immediately dismiss everything that they um, they put out. Um, all right, so I'm going to answer a few more questions, but first we're going to take a quick uh, pause for the ads. Today's episode is brought to you by Block Native. Block Native is the easiest way to build and trade with mempool data. Hundreds of the top DeFi projects and traders have integrated Block Native's API. They even have Mempool Explorer, the industry's first no-code environment for working with Mempool data. Mempool Explorer truly brings blockchain data to life, letting you watch mainnet transactions as they happen. 
Through the first quarter of 2021, unconfirmed listeners get double the transaction volume on all Block Native commercial plans, as much as $25,000 in value. Visit blocknative.com slash unconfirmed to get started and claim this offer. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto, all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your BTC. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com metal card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly. Reserve yours now in the Crypto.com app. All right, back to my AMA. Coco Crypto asks, as one of my favorite crypto journalists, are you a Bitcoin maximalist? And what's in your portfolio? And give the percent breakdown. So, um, no, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, I'm not any kind of maximalist. As a journalist, I try to actually have as few opinions as possible, frankly, because I don't want to miss a story. And so I don't want to get too fixed in my thinking about anything. I want to be able to see the stories as they're happening and to be open-minded that anything could change at any moment. And so, yeah, so that's why I, I um, people actually ask my opinion on a lot of things all the time. And the truth is I, I really have much fewer opinions than I think a lot of people would expect. As for the part about what's in your portfolio, um, it's it's just nothing fancy or special. It's definitely not crypto. Um, and this actually leads to the next few questions. Um, Mark Nguyen's asked, you once mentioned you don't own any, own any cryptocurrencies. Is that still the case? If so, why not? Um, and someone else also asked, Thomas 83 UK asked, do you still own no BTC? Right. So, and, and somebody else also asked, uh, yeah, so I don't, and I'm sorry, I didn't explain that earlier. I thought people knew about this. I, um, did own BTC when I worked at Forbes, Forbes has a policy that if you cover something that you own, then you just have to disclose it. Once I quit, I actually have only ever written one freelance or two freelance articles since quitting Forbes, but they were for the New York times, the New York times, um, does not have that policy. Their policy is you can't own something that you disclose. So at that time, I did sell, give away, and um, donate some of the Bitcoin or all the Bitcoin that I'd owned. And and I think I owned a little bit of Ether as well. So um, at the moment, actually, though, for reporting purposes, I do own a little bit of Ether because I needed to bid on one of those .eth names or something. Anyway, I know that there's some remaining after that, but I don't remember how much it is. It's probably like, I actually I have no idea. Um, uh, anyway, so yeah, but that was just, uh, you know, for, for work, basically for work purposes. Um, okay. Kathleen Brightman asks, of Tezos asks, in the next five years, if it grows more mainstream, do you think Bitcoin culture is going to lose its weirdness? Um, and then, for example, she wrote the vernacular, the cult worship, et cetera. Um, <laughs> The truth is, I hope not. <laughs> um, I would say that most likely it will just be the same mix of weirdness that it's always been, because I actually think from early on, it's been kind of like, you know, the cypherpunks, and then you've got kind of the Silicon Valley entrepreneur types, and then you have, um, you know, the libertarian people, and then, you know, you've got all these billionaires who just want to make more money. I don't know. That's it's it's really just um a really fun mix of people. And so I actually think it's just going to continue to include more of all of these different types of groups. And um yeah, like I said, I really hope it doesn't lose its weirdness. Um 
Ed Rod- Rodriguez asks, in your opinion, will public blockchains ever disintermediate banks or is banking's grip on governments just too strong? Are private blockchains just more expensive centralized databases or will they predominate in fintech? Okay, so this question about whether public blockchains will disintermediate banks is super interesting to me. So, you know, gut response is, of course, it's going to disintermediate banks, right? Um, it's just because it's sort of like, I mean, just everything in crypto always takes off so fast when it happens. And um, the technology itself is just so much faster than, um, you know, what you can do with the banking system. And so just by sheer virtue of the um, the vast improvement that the technology represents over existing banking infrastructure, like that alone just makes you feel like, of course. Um, however, the reason why I wouldn't give that as my answer is not necessarily the way you described it as banking's grip on governments, but I would just say that compared to the way that the internet so easily disrupted media, I would say that, you know, when you're dealing with money, obviously regulation is going to play a bigger role. And I think it already has and um, will actually continue to play a bigger role, um, as, which I think we're starting to see. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, there should be some word on regulation that's coming down. Um, unfortunately, at the time of recording, I you know I don't know what that is, but I think we're already starting to see that regulation is going to take a bigger role in shaping how much blockchain technology can disrupt and disintermediate banks. You know, one other thing I would say though is like I think something that's interesting is kind of what I was saying before about how the internet really. Uh, decimated local journalism, but has helped some of the really big media companies grow bigger. You know, something similar might happen in this situation where the the banks that are big enough to use the tech to institute the technology in such a way that they can compete with public blockchains, they might um, just sort of you know retain their foothold that way. Whereas we might see that like smaller financial players that. Uh, can't compete against public blockchains might have a harder time, something like that. Um, You know, I'm not really sure, but um, it's just something that I was thinking about. However, you know, on the flip side, I think you're all probably well aware that there is a trend of journalists kind of like me going independent and being able to to sustain themselves as their own little publications. There's this whole um, trend of journalists moving over to Substack. And actually, there was a big article on that trend that I meant to read, but I've been so busy writing my book, I haven't read it yet. Um, I just know that there are people that are doing this. I think Camilla Russo is one of them because I subscribe to her newsletter. Yeah, I do think that even if we do see that happen, where um, we might see small banks get disrupted in a way that the bigger banks aren't, that we will also see, and we're already starting to see it, that this technology can also kind of elevate people that, you know, maybe uh, wouldn't traditionally have the right connections or or background to, or resources to um, play or uh, work in the traditional financial system who get a chance with crypto because it's just a different beast and the barrier of entry is is quite different. And I think, you know, for people with the right technical chops that they can really take advantage of this in a way that, that maybe um, wouldn't have been possible before. And as for private blockchains predominating in fintech, yeah, I don't really see that happening. Um, there might be like specific use cases by which uh, they do predominate, but I don't see that happening like just, uh, you know, across the 
population at large. And for 2021, what black swans do you see on the horizon? Um, hmm. That's a good question. I'm assuming you mean for crypto. Well, huh, that's interesting because, yeah, I think the, the regulatory thing is going to be um, not as bad as it <laughs> was rumored to be not that long ago. Um, so you guys, uh, the, the industry seems to have escaped something there, which is which is good. Um, but that probably could have really put a damper on things. I think the only thing would be in so in twenty in the summer of twenty twenty, obviously we did see DeFi kind of have its moment with yield farming and um, people getting really excited about that, and it did kind of take off very quickly and then sort of died down. And I could see that happening again in a much bigger way at some point in the future once certain issues are resolved, like around scaling or UI or you know whatever it might be. But the thing is that. As we all know, there were so many security issues in DeFi, and there continue to be to this day. I literally read about a new one last night involving some place called Warp or something like that. So this is, you know, it's something that has to be resolved. And so I could see that maybe if DeFi does have another yield farming moment that, again, is much bigger than it was last summer, but there's some massive security issue, then, yeah, that that would not be good for the space. Ali Chan asks, uh, what trends do you see for 2021? The trends I see for 2021, um, I think, so to my mind, number one story, I think for 21 is probably going to be, okay, no, I'm not going to make a prediction. Okay, these are my contenders for what I think will be the number one story for 2021. The number one is going is I think it will probably be Bitcoin. And it's funny because last summer I was thinking it would probably be DeFi because I thought it might play out the way that things had played out in 2017, where the ICO craze sort of led and then that kind of like, you know, created this rally and then Bitcoin uh got kind of carried along with the crypto craze led by the ICO craze. But actually now, you know, I think like with the pandemic and uh, with what we're seeing with all these different um, corporations adding Bitcoin to their balance sheets and with um, PayPal adopting it and, and it, yeah, just becoming so much more mainstream and finally like all these billionaires and investment banks being like, oh, yeah, actually, we think it has value and <laughs> here's what it what the value should be and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I actually could see it being Bitcoin. In fact, that's my probably top contender for what I think will be the biggest story for 2021. Um, this was actually part of the reason why I did the Bitcoin Now series, which um, isn't even finished because I'll probably just continue it throughout 2021 because I think Bitcoin will be a huge story in 2021. However, okay, so second contender for top story could still be DeFi if if it it takes off in a bigger way. Um, you know, that's just a bigger question mark because of the scaling issues, et cetera. But um, yeah, and and I just think you would probably need more people to be kind of on onboarded into the crypto space and to be able to use MetaMask and all that. Like there are certain things that yield farming requires you to do uh, from a technical perspective that, you know, even I can't do. And I like, I think about this stuff all day long. Um, so yeah, so that's probably second contender. Um, definitely up there is going to be the Coinbase IPO. So my current bet is that the top story for 2021 will be Bitcoin. The, t the second biggest story will be Coinbase IPO. The third, maybe DeFi, if, if anything takes off with that. Oh, shoot. Okay. 
also in the top three has to be regulation. Um, because of what I was just talking about, uh, you know, I think there is there are a number of issues, uh, you know, starting with, I don't know if you guys listened to the travel epi- travel rule episode that I did on Unchained this summer, um, but that really, I think, you know, kicked off this whole thing now that we're seeing where wallets are being targeted by regulation um, in a way that strikes a lot of people in the industry as being overreaching and, and impracticable. So, you know, this has not really played out fully in all these different jurisdictions. Like we're starting to see it take place in a few of them. But, you know, like literally right at this moment, I think today, the day that I'm recording this AMA, we're going to find out what that's going to look like in the U.S. So that will be another big story to watch for 2021. Um, but yeah, so there's my trends and, um, all right, you guys, I think this story, this episode comes out if I am correct on Christmas day itself. So, um, that will be it for this AMA. I do have a bunch of questions, which I will cover for next week's AMA. Um, but thank you so much for tuning in. There won't be any news recap this week as I and the rest of my staff are off for the break. And don't forget, we're now on YouTube. Subscribe to the Unchained YouTube channel today. And Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Bossy Baker, Shashank, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.